We're looking forward to meeting you one day soon. But in the meantime, enjoy the message. Bless your fam. in the area of generosity and so we're so, I'm so grateful to have JT in our church to kind of lead the way and to and to really embody that value um pong pongathon my goodness I said to the previous crew I am not a pong man uh, at all not even close but uh, I will come in in the gear I'll wear a, probably wear a sweatband you know um and uh, and I'll give it a crack I'll, uh, I'll watch uh, has anybody seen the, the movie Balls of Fury anybody Okay, only two people. Guys, come on. If you'd like to remain a part of Steeple Church, no, I'm just kidding. I, I, but I highly recommend Balls of Fury, right? It's a good movie, yeah? Come on. It's, a, it's kind of a mixture between Mortal Kombat and um, it's like the, yeah, the Mortal Kombat of ping pong is basically what I'd say. So definitely get it um, and check it out. Uh, I'm excited to, to be able to share the word again or around the word uh, with us this morning in this space. Um, I really got a sense as I kind of led into this Sunday. Um, uh, well, out of my own kind of experience, out of my own prayer life, um, and, and out of my own walk with the Lord. Um, it seems fairly obvious to say that we're in a season, I would say, of uh, postponement, um, deferring uh, events, meetings, uh, catch-ups and conversations. Uh, it sounds really obvious, but I, I know that if I was to ask for a show of hands and if I was to ask the question, who has had to defer or postpone or reschedule something, uh, whether it be significant or small, over the course of the last year and a half, I know that we would have a show of hands in this space of people who have had to defer weddings, birthdays, bridal showers, baby showers, family visits, travel plans, work plans, uh, weekly work meetings, dinners, catch-ups, conversations, you name it, most of us in this space uh, would have had to have paused an event, postponed an event, or put an event off completely. I really think, again, it sounds obvious to say that we are in a year and a half, or we are a year and a half into an epic season of long pauses and postponements of pivoting, love that word, and putting things off. And, it's, and if I was to sort of, uh, as I was thinking about this Sunday, uh, I really think that this last period of lockdown has made people uh, more tired than they were um, last year, more exhausted than they were off the back of the last year's lockdown. Uh, in conversation, I feel like people are using words when I ask them how they're doing. They're not sort of just immediately going to, I'm good. And even if they do, I struggle to believe them. They're saying things like, oh, I'm feeling a bit flat. Um, maybe some people I've had conversations with are telling me that they're experiencing depression. They're anxious. There seem to be a lot more people who are angrier than they were uh, two years ago, more fearful than they were two years ago. Uh, is it just me, or are you guys picking up what I'm putting down? Are you, in conversation, are you, are you experiencing hearing some of those words and, and feeling some of those feels? Um, and so I sort of, I'm thinking about that in my own life. I've experienced some of those moments too. I've had, I've had moments of feeling depressed. I'm not a depressed person. I don't struggle with depression, but I've had moments where I felt extremely flat. I've had moments where I felt anxious. Uh, moments where I've felt angry. I've experienced all of those types of emotions. And, uh, and it's felt like these last uh, couple of lockdowns that we've experienced, those emotions have been amplified. Um, I feel like it's, they've been intensified over the last couple of lockdowns. And, and I was thinking about this in my own heart and life, and I really felt like uh, I asked the Lord, what's going on? What's the deal here? Uh, and Proverbs 13, verse 12, popped into my, into my brain. It says this, Hope deferred makes the heart sick. 
Hope deferred makes the heart sick. And when I think about the last year and a half, that really, for me, summarises what's been going on. People are just putting off and postponing and pausing some of the things that they've been dreaming of, planning. Uh, and there's no wonder to me that people are feeling sick and tired, tired and sick, especially in the last uh, couple of lockdowns. And so I wanted to speak into that this morning. And I know it sounds obvious, but in the midst of this season, it's very clear to me that people are experiencing amplified physical, mental and spiritual sickness like never before. So it led me to ask this question coming into this week uh, of myself, but I'm also asking it of our community. If hope deferred makes the heart sick, how can we be a community, a church, an individual, a follower of Jesus that cultivates a hope that heals? If hope deferred makes the heart sick, how can we be a church, a community, an individual, a follower of Jesus that cultivates hope that heals, hope that brings restoration in my life, If you're experiencing that, it's the question I've asked myself personally and in and through those around us. How can we be a people, a person that brings or cultivates hope that heals? And here's what I've come up with as I explored Scripture and as I prayed about it. uh, I really, I, I discovered this. Scripture seems to connect joy and hope, hope and joy together quite often in Scripture. It's almost like they go hand in hand. Joy and hope seem uh, inextricably linked. And I discovered Uh, that if you're lacking hope, if trust is deficient in your world, or if faith is absent, then it seems joy might just be an antidote to hopelessness. Joy might just be an antidote to hopelessness. Nehemiah 8 verse 10. This is a scripture that Jane pulls out on me often, uh, very often, especially when I'm feeling frustrated or I'm being dramatic. Uh, I know it might sound quite surprising to all of you, but I am the emotional one in my relationship. And so I experience high highs and low lows. And often when I'm experiencing those things, especially in the low moments, it's Jane, you know, a classic Christian, you know, walks into the room. She was raised in a Christian home. I wasn't. So scriptures don't easily pop into my head as quickly as I do with Jane. But she'll walk into a room and I'm feeling frustrated, anxious, angry, upset about something. And she'll say, the joy of the Lord is your strength. And I'm like, that's either really, really frustrating or it's really encouraging. Mostly it's frustrating and then I I decide to actually pay attention. The joy of the Lord is your strength. Romans 15 verse 13 says this, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. I love that scripture. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. So if we are in an epic season of deferred hope, then I'm wondering whether the cultivation of joy, not false joy, not faux joy or fake joy, not hyped up happiness, but a genuine pursuit of the joy that can only be found in the Lord might just be one of the main ingredients in the restoration of hope. I wonder what would happen if we cultivated joy. And again, I'm not talking about hyping up good feelings. I'm talking about a pursuit of joy that is found in the Lord. And so in order to explore this topic a little bit further over the next couple of weeks, we're going to kind of rest in Philippians 4. It's kind of the the go-to scripture when it talks about rejoicing and joy. You would have heard it if you've been around. And Philippians 4 was written, uh, as with most of the New Testament, was written uh, by a person who was experiencing persecution. So when somebody like that, in the midst of persecution, talks about joy in the midst of their circumstance, I feel like there's credibility there that we should pay attention to. And like I said to the crew before, we are not, in my opinion, experiencing persecution. What we are going through at the moment in this season in this country is not persecution. 
It's inconvenient. It's challenging. It's hard for some of us, but it is not persecution in my opinion. And so it's very different. But when someone who's experiencing legitimate persecution, whose life is under threat, uh, has something to say about joy, I feel like we could possibly learn something as people who are going through a challenging season. Amen? Amen. Philippians 4 says this, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or have heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. Now, I don't want us to approach this scripture as kind of a formula. If you do this, then this will happen. We need to understand that being a Christian is not a dualistic religion or faith. You, you need to be able to carry tension. It is okay to experience or feel the feelings of joy, but also have moments of what scripture calls lament and grief and sorrow. So I, I present this message and these thoughts to you this morning by way of encouragement, not a formula that you can kind of implement. You do A plus B and you'll get C as a result. But I want to encourage you that in the midst of your tension, while you're feeling maybe feelings of anxiety, sorrow, grief, whatever it is that you're feeling, you can find and discover joy in the midst of that. Amen? Amen? So this morning, how do we cultivate a hope that heals? My first kind of tip out of Philippians 4 is simply this, rejoice in him. Rejoice in him. The scripture kicks off this way. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Rejoice in him. Here's my thought. What you revel in, you reveal. What you revel in, you reveal. I love that word revel. I mean, it just sounds like a party to me. What you revel in, what you immerse yourself in, uh, what you enjoy will be evident. What you revel in, you will reveal. Or another way to put it, what you enjoy will be evident, will be seen. To revel in something means to take great pleasure in or delight in, to enjoy or to indulge. I wonder this morning whether that's something that we do. Do we uh, revel in the Lord? Do we take delight in God? Or when we approach God, is it more of an obligation or a chore? I wonder how you approach the Lord this morning. Psalm 34 Verse 8 says this, taste and see that the Lord is good. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Not taste and see that the Lord is bland, is average, but taste and see that the Lord is good. Oh, the joys of those who take refuge in him, for those who revel in him, for those who enjoy him, for those who uh, pursue and seek safety in him. Taste and see that the Lord is good. The Lord is good this morning. I'm, uh, I'm preaching to my own self. The Lord is good. This morning, where do you draw your joy from? Where do you draw your joy from? Do you know this morning that the Lord is good? Or as I said, is, is the Lord something to be enjoyed rather than enjoyed? I think that's a tagline for, for a church around. I've heard it on Light FM, I think. Churches to be enjoyed, not enjoyed. It's, it's catchy. But do you know that the Lord is good? Because if you believe that the Lord is good, you're more inclined to actually spend time in his presence. You're more inclined to actually revel in him. If you think that God is angry, I don't know about you, but I don't want to spend my time with an angry God. 
Anybody else? You like love spending time with an angry, vengeful, wrathful God? I actually think that we need to know, and I want to encourage us this morning, that the Lord is good. Do you enjoy the Lord? Is it more of an obligation or chore? How do you enjoy the Lord if you enjoy him at all? You know, I'm continuing to learn uh, that to know God leads to a greater enjoyment of God. But the inverse of that statement is also true. It's very hard to really enjoy God if you don't really know God. Amen? So my question as I was thinking about this was, how can I get to know God in order to enjoy God more? Um, this comes out of my own, my own walk, my own journey. These are things that I'm aspiring to implement in my own life. And so they're questions that I'm asking myself in very real time. And I stumbled across Psalm 46, and it gives us a very practical key as to how we might know God in order to enjoy God. It's a bit countercultural, and I suspect uh, it might challenge a few people in the room. It certainly challenged me. But Psalm 46 says this, Be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am God. Does anybody else in the room tr- uh, like really struggle with sitting still? Come on. I mean, I have major FOMO, right? So me sitting still is something that actually is, is a really hard thing to implement in my own life. You ask Jane, you ask my kids when I'm up in the office, they know when I'm thinking about something because I tap my foot constantly. So my office is upstairs. They'll hear me downstairs and they'll be like... Dad's, dad's stressed. <laughs> I'll hear the foot going. I struggle to sit still. I struggle. It's, 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 so again, I'm preaching from the place uh, and the places I'm, I'm aiming um, to be, not necessarily from where I'm at. I hope that's okay. I'm also Pentecostal. I come from a Pentecostal background. We struggle to sit still. Any other Pentecostals in the room? Okay, I'm preaching to like the, the old school mainline kind of <laughs> churches in this space, right? But Pentecostals, we struggle to sit, to sit still. You see us in a prayer meeting, my goodness. Like, a prayer meeting that's filled with Holy Spirit is one where everyone's running around making chicken noises, if you know what I'm saying. Uh, Yeah, that's scaring some people in here. But it's true. We really struggle to sit still. And we actually, uh, in in those circles, if there's no noise, then we wonder what's happening. Like, has God showed up? Is the Holy Spirit here? And so for me, as someone who's been a part of that culture for a couple of decades... um, Very hard for me to sit still. I remember taking a bunch of young people. I was a youth pastor for like 17 years, and I remember taking uh, young people to a conference called Soul Survivor. And uh, in this this country, Soul Survivor is actually uh, run, or it was back then, run by uh, people from mainline churches, Anglican churches. And I remember the worship. I remember taking my, my youth group kids into the time of worship for the first time, and, and the, uh, the music would play. They'd play a song, and then there'd be a long pause. And my, my youth group kids, they didn't know what to do. They thought something was wrong. They'd all kind of look at me down the line in the worship. Is there something wrong? Are they okay? Do they need us to go up and worship and show them how to bring the Holy Spirit down? You know? So that's the kind of vibe that I come from. I struggle to sit still. And yet, what I'm discovering is that it is one of the disciplines that actually helps to cultivate um, knowing God. Be still and know that I am God. Being still is actually an act of faith. It's an act of trust. Um, And to rest might even be an act of resistance. But the thing is, if we actually want to enjoy God, if we want to rejoice in him, we need to know God. In order to know God, and in order to know God is good, I want to encourage us this morning to be still in order to know that he is God. To be still. Uh, one of the things I've, I've been trying to implement and I want to encourage us to do is to try and carve out, I know all the young parents, young mums in the room are probably going to be like, this is impossible, but I want to encourage us, if we can carve out 
Um, maybe start with two minutes a day, three minutes, five if you're feeling like bold, but just to carve out some time each day to just be still with no other agenda, but just to sit in the presence of God. Grab a hot beverage. This is a very practical kind of message. Grab a hot beverage, find a comfortable chair, uh, step out into nature, whatever it is, and just be still in order to know that he is God. So my first encouragement this morning is to rejoice in him. If you want to rejoice in him and cultivate a life of joy and cultivate hope that heals, that brings restoration, I want to encourage us to be still. Let's practice the discipline of being still. Rejoice in him. Second point this morning, a second encouragement this morning is to rest in him. might sound like the same point, but I kind of want to build on it. Rest in him. Rejoice in him and rest in him. Scripture goes on in Philippians 4, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. You know what you rest in, you reproduce. An anxious person will make people feel anxious. And that's okay. If you're a person who is anxious, you're so welcome. I'm very anxious. I actually feel like I am quite an intense person. This is what Jane tells me. So why are you laughing? Like, <laughs> I'm like a hurricane, right? If you, if you get into my, into, my kind of, into my sphere, you'll either get caught up and love it or, or I'll chew you up. It's, it's something that I'm confronting in and of myself. I'm, I'm a very, my counsellor calls me passionate. And that's a really lovely way of saying that I'm an intense human being. So I'm aware of that. I'm working on it. But this is the thing. What we rest in, we reproduce. Amen? So if you, again, have this idea that God is an angry God, you, you might, in fact, be an angry person, and you're going to kind of reproduce that in your world. Don't be condemned by what I'm saying, um, but don't be afraid to confront that stuff either. God is good. His grace is good. He is for you. What you rest in, you reproduce. I've discovered this. Rest is a posture of the heart, the mind, and the body. It is a spiritual and a physical discipline of trust. So the level that you trust the Lord will more often than not manifest in your ability to rest. I'm speaking again from my own personal experience. I'm challenged by this. So again, I don't want to encourage you, don't be condemned by this. This is something that I'm personally challenged by, but I don't feel condemned by it. Um, for me, confession time, I really struggle specifically with sleep. Sleep is not something I do well. Anybody else in the room struggle with sleep? Confession time, let's all just, yeah, okay, there's only a couple of us, everyone else, great. I struggle to sleep. I have an ongoing wrestle with sleep, with rest and restlessness. And I've become far more aware that my personal struggle with rest for me is the greatest indicator in my life of a lack of trust. Now, again, I don't feel condemned by that. Um, it's just revealing. You know, I actually feel like uh, this season, this pandemic has actually been an apocalyptic season. What do I mean by that? It's not the end of the world, but the word apocalypse actually means to a great unveiling, a revealing. And I feel like this pandemic is revealing just how um, not at rest I am as a human being. And so this is my personal struggle, but I feel like I'm not alone in this. So preaching from my own experience in order to encourage others. My struggle with rest is, is, a, is an indicator in my life of a lack of trust. Uh, it's not often you come to church to hear a message on sleep, but here we go. In Psalm 3, verse 5 to 6, David writes this, I lay down and slept. I woke again, for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of the many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. In Psalm 4, verse 8, David says again, In peace I will both lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. 
Two things are happening here. First, David is making sleep an act of faith in the Lord's protection. Enemies surround him and they want to destroy him. This was the real deal. This was happening to him in real time. But David sleeps in the midst of that and God sustains him and guards him. Jesus also slept and scripture tells us that he did. In Mark 4, we see Jesus and his disciples out at sea when a storm develops. The waves are so intense that they are breaking into the boat, filling it and flooding it with water. The disciples are terrified, but Jesus is in the stern of the boat, sleeping on a cushion. Now, how, like, what's going on here is the question that I ask myself. Jesus wakes up, we know the story, speaks to the storm by his word, and the thing settles down. And the disciples are completely awed and floored by what they had seen. Jesus slept for the same reason David was able to sleep. He trusted that his father would protect him. When we practice the discipline of sleep, we are saying in that same spirit of faith that God is in charge, that we trust him and that he will protect us. We are saying that no matter how many thousands of enemies surround our soul, no matter how many distractions or disasters await us in the morning to come, and regardless of how the day has gone before us, we sleep as an act of trust. James Bryan Smith in his book, The Good and Beautiful God, says this, the number one enemy of Christian spiritual formation is exhaustion. We are living beyond our means, both financially and physically. As a result, one of the primary activities or anti-activities of human life is being neglected, that of sleep. Failure to sleep results in damage to physical health, loss of energy and decreased productivity, and it often hurts others. A sleep study done by the National Institute of Mental Health in the USA in which participants slept an average of 8.5 hours, sounds good, doesn't it, uh, per night found that those who participated in the study said they felt happier, less fatigued, more creative, energetic and productive. Everyone in the room said, duh, <laughs> like of course, makes sense. But I want to encourage us this morning because this isn't my reality. I don't know if it's your reality. I, I certainly know for young parents it's probably not your reality either. And so... Again, there's seasons in life where maybe this isn't quite possible for you. But what you rest in, you'll reproduce. Now, a lack of sleep can produce physical, mental and spiritual health issues, including depression and anxiety. And in my case, as I've confessed, it demonstrates for me, I feel a lack of trust. I'm trying to control everything. My mind is constantly at work. The discipline of sleep, on the flip side, is a legitimate act of trust in the Lord and has the potential to produce peace, joy, creativity, energy, and help to steward physical, mental, and, phys and spiritual health, all of which I believe creates space for you to cultivate joy and cultivate a hope that brings healing and restoration. Amen? Yeah, I want to encourage us this morning. I mean, some of the, one of the things that I'm trying to implement in my world is to create space just to be still. It's challenging in and of itself. But one of the other things I'm trying to do, and as I was preaching this, Jane was obviously in the room first session, and so she's kind of having a giggle over there, saying, let's see how we go. But one of the things I'm going to try and do as well is to actually implement consistent uh, bedtimes. I mean, again, who comes to church to hear a sermon on, on sleep? But here, that's what we're doing. Trying to go to sleep at a consistent time is one thing that I'm trying to implement, to try and implement a rhythm, a healthy rhythm. Uh, the other thing I do uh, is I pray Psalm 91, verse 1 to 6. Maybe jot that down, pray Psalm 91, verse 1 to 6, after you switch off your phone um, and before you go to sleep. The other thing you might want to do is download this, this amazing app that I've been utilising called Lectio 365, um, and I'll put up a link in our, in our social media. Um, but you might want to utilise that to actually begin your day and close out your day. It's a beautiful app. Um, 
And it's helped me actually kind of wind down and sleep. So this morning, very, very simple, hopefully very practical. I'm going to build on it again next week and share another couple of points around how we can be a community that cultivates hope, that brings healing. Because if deferred hopes make make the heart sick, how can we be a person and a people and a community that cultivates a hope that heals? So my first two suggestions have been to rejoice in him and rest in him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much that you're a God who is present, that you're a God who not only cares but is invested in our physical, our mental, our spiritual health and well-being. Father, I pray that you would help us, lead us, guide us by your Holy Spirit. Uh, Father, to be a people who who finds our rest um, and our joy in you. God, we give you praise for all that you're up to, for all that you're doing, and for all that you continue to do in and through us. Father, I pray that we... Uh, that each person who is present with us this morning yeah, would find their rest in you and find their joy in you as they go about their weeks. And to conclude, I'll read Romans 15. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Be blessed, church. I love you heaps. Have a great day and a great week. Amen. <laughs> you. <laughs> And let's play them tunes. Thanks again for tuning in to the Steeple Church podcast. We hope you're encouraged as you listened in. As I said at the top of the podcast, we loved having and hosting you in this way, but we'd love to hear from you and pray for you. So please drop us a line via our website or better yet, if you're local to Melbourne, drop in on one of our Sunday gatherings, 10 a.m. every Sunday at 208 Whitehorse Road, Baldwin. Peace and love, friends. Have a great week.